Good afternoon, Church of Port. Good to be with you. My name's Paul Owens. Uh, great to join together with you. If you've got Romans 15 open in front of you, that's going to be helpful as we go through this afternoon. Uh, and kids, if you are drawing, if you've got the four images that you're going to draw, make sure you've got your colouring pencils or whatever else it is uh, to get ready to draw. I want to start with <clears throat> a reminder of a 1990s Pizza Hut ad. Uh, with Dougie, the home delivery guy, who was given a, a wise piece of advice when he asked for a tip. Uh, he was told to work hard and be good to your mother. That's the two things of advice that we get uh, from Dougie, the Pizza Hut delivery guy. Well, there are two pieces of advice, two tips, if you like, that come out of Romans 15 as we unpack it together this afternoon. Those two pieces of advice are that we ought to accept others and we ought to support mission, two things that we're going to be looking at this afternoon. We ought to accept one another and we ought to support mission. And alongside that, we're going to see the hope that comes through knowing Jesus. That's where we're headed. Kids, if you're drawing, our first drawing is accepting others. So get your pencils to work. That comes out of verse 7. So if you've got your Bible open, let me read that for you again. Verse 7 of chapter Romans 15. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. Let me give you just some of the background of what we've been looking at in, last, in the last few weeks. Uh, we need to remember that the Roman church was mostly a Gentile church with some Jewish believers, some Jewish Christians. And it looks like the issue of the weak and the strong is likely an issue of some Jewish Christians uh, feeling like in order to obey their conscience that they wanted to obey some of the food laws and observe some of the holy days that came out of Judaism. And so Paul is writing to this mostly Gentile church in Rome who attempted to look down on their weaker brothers and sisters that feel they need to obey some of those days and some of those food laws. And so he tells them here in verse 7, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. So how is it that Christ accepted them? Have a look at verse 8 and 9. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. You see, Christ had accepted them, the outsiders, after he's become a servant to the Jewish nation and fulfil God's promises to them. But the end result of that is that also the Gentiles are included into God's family and accepted in God's family. The end result of that work is that these people who are not God's people are gathered into God's people so that they would receive God's mercy, so that they might glorify God for his mercy. And that's the way that Jesus has accepted them. So now that Christ has accepted them, they ought to accept others and one another within the church, even their weaker brothers or sisters, uh, like their Jewish Christian friends that want to keep those food laws and the holy days. They ought to generously accept them and care for them as they do life together. So now Paul pulls out some Old Testament quotes that show that the Gentiles are going to praise God, and we'll pick that up from halfway through verse 9 through to verse 12. So verse 9, As it's written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. 
Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will, will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. Now these are all verses or prophecies that the Gentiles would praise God and rejoice in him. And it concludes here with the great hope of Isaiah in verse 12 of Romans 15, that a root, a root of Jesse would spring up and in that root of Jesse the Gentiles would put their hope. So kids, if you're drawing, we're on to our second picture, hope in our king, hope in our king. And it's this root of Jesse that points us to King David. Uh, David in the line of Jesse is a king who ruled over God's people. But the promise is that there would be another king in the line of David that would rise up to rule over not just Israel, but to rule over the Gentiles, to rule over the nations. And in this new king, the Gentiles would put their hope. So we know that that's Jesus, a descendant of King David, and therefore this root of Jesse. And Jesus is the one that the Gentiles will hope in. Now, what's the reason for rejoicing and praising God? It's that the hope comes through this root of Jesse. And the king in the line of David is the one in whom the hope of the Gentiles is placed. It's in Jesus that the Gentiles can have true and lasting hope. And so now, Paul, having tracked some of what the Old Testament says about the Gentiles praising God for his mercy and about this being the reason that Paul has said that the Roman Christians should accept one another because they've been included in through this mercy of God, now Paul moves on from the telling them to accept one another to just flat-out praise of God. Uh, and from time to time, that's what he does in the book of Romans. He cannot help himself but bursting in to his own praise of the, of the grace and mercy of God. And that's where verse 13 pops up. So have a look with me at verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Many years ago now I had... Uh, I met a fellow who was a farmer and I asked him how long he'd been on the farm that he lived on and that he worked on. And his answer was quite interesting. He said, I've been here for around about 165 years. And I looked at him and thought, wow, you're looking really well for a fellow who's 165 years old. That wasn't what he meant. He was telling me about the history of his family with that farm. And he was saying that not just him, but his parents, his grandparents, his great-grandparents had all worked on that farm. They'd all lived and worked there. And he was telling me that they were a part of the furniture, that they were going nowhere, that that place was theirs. They owned it. They loved it. They looked after it. And he wasn't going to disappear in a hurry. Friends, our God owns hope. Other people might want to lay claim to hope. But in the end, the only hope that lasts is the hope that comes through God. And that hope is delivered to anyone who would put their trust in Jesus. Our God owns hope. Now, if you want a memory verse from this part of Romans, then you can't go past this one. Let me read it for you again. Romans 15 verse 13. May the God of hope 
fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, this is the hope that you and I ought to have in our lives. This is the hope that should be in the lives of everyone at church. This is the hope that we need to offer to people in Orange, to our friends, our family, our workmates, because this is real hope, true and lasting hope. And can you see what the end result of this hope is in verse 13? You see, if we're filled with this hope, it means we'll be people of joy and peace as we have our trust in Jesus. Now, what does it mean to be people of joy and peace? What's Paul saying when he's talking about joy? He's talking about a deep-seated contentment, a happiness that exists for us despite the struggles and the difficulties of this life. He's talking about a joy that persists because we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's a lasting joy that can't be rattled or upset because of anything that happens to us. And what's he talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, about the peace that comes as a result of this hope? Uh, the peace is not an absence of conflict in our lives or in our relationships. It doesn't mean that we won't have difficulties with our human relationships. We might or may, may not have them from time to time. But the peace he is talking about is the absence of conflict in our relationship with our God. It's a peace between us and God where there was previously hostility. It's a peace that comes that he's already talked about in chapter 5. Because of what God's done for us in Jesus, now we know that we can have peace with God. So the peace is to be free of anxiety or distress in regard to our relationship with God, to our friendship with God. Because, he's already said, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're no longer enemies, but friends with God through the work of Jesus. So that means if you're a Christian here today, no matter what our circumstances are in this life, we can still experience peace. No matter how difficult or upsetting the circumstances of our life are, we still know that we have an underlying peace with the creator of the universe, with the one who knows us and loves us and has died in order to save us. And so these character traits of joy and peace should grow in us over time. You see, as God works by the power of his Holy Spirit to fill us with these things, as we grow in our knowledge and love of the Lord Jesus, the hope that comes through the gospel ought to drive us to be people who are full of joy and peace. And what's the end result of all this? Have a look again at the last part of verse 13. It's that we overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because of all this, we should be people who overflow with hope. Now, uh, you may already know, I expect you do, that COVID has dominated our news headlines for a very long time, more so in the last month or so. Uh, COVID means that hope is in very short supply in our world. Case numbers rise, the death toll rises, lockdowns get extended and we don't know when we're going to get out of them. 
And as a result of what is a lot of bad news or difficult news in our lives, people are searching out news feeds that give them good news stories. And many people want to avoid the news altogether because it's just too much hard work because there seems like there is no hope in everything that's coming to us in the news. Our world is short of hope and very short of good news. But our God owns good news and he owns hope and it is going nowhere in our world. It always will be with our God. And friends, we need to be reminded of the hope of the gospel. And we need to be people who remind each other of that hope so that the God of hope would work through his spirit so that you and I would be people who overflow with this hope. When I was a kid, we had multiple massive storms when I was growing up and we had one particular storm uh, that I can remember. We had a stormwater drain underneath the road just near our place, a massive stormwater drain that carried a whole heap of water. But it rained so much and so heavily and for so long one particular day that the stormwater drain filled up with water and the water overflowed outside of that stormwater drain and it carried along the top of the road instead of being in the drain. And the water ran so deep and fast over the top of the road that it lifted sheets of pavement up and carried them down the road. That overflow of water impacted everything around it. And friends, our hope is supposed to overflow just like that. Our hope of the gospel is supposed to permeate every part of our lives so that in a world that is without hope, you and I might look radically different to the people around us. You and I might look like we have joy and peace because of that hope in a world that isn't grounded and that doesn't have lasting hope. So I want to ask you the question this afternoon, is that you? Or are you so present in the moment of our world in the here and now that you're not displaying any sort of lasting hope or joy or peace? Are you not showing people that you have joy and peace despite the chaos and disorder of our world? Friends, if that's you today, if that's an honest description of your life, of what someone would describe of you if they knew you well, then it's time to look back in the rear vision mirror. It's time to remember the peace with God that Jesus has won for you at the cross. It's time to look to the hope of the resurrection that comes from Jesus' work at the cross and to pray that God would open your eyes and your heart to the only hope that truly lasts so that that might overflow into every part of your life so that you might display joy and peace in amongst the chaos of our world and from time to time amongst the disorder of your own life. You might display joy and peace that comes from the only lasting hope that there is. Now we're going to finish with our last section, which is encouraging us to support our missionaries. Paul describes the help that he wants the church in Rome to give us. Kids, we're on to our third uh, drawing, a third picture, which is helping our missionaries, helping our missionaries, if you're on to drawing. And this section from verse 23 to 33, Paul is going to describe the help that he wants to see come uh, from the church in Rome. So have a look with me at verse 23 and 24. 
But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you all passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now Paul's finished preaching the gospel in a whole lot of regions, in places where the gospel was never preached before, but he's preached and God has brought to life churches in those regions. doesn't mean that he's taught the gospel to every single person there, but there are established churches in those areas. And so now Paul wants to go to Spain where the gospel hasn't been preached so that there might be more of those Gentiles who would praise God for his mercy because they have heard of the message of the gospel. And as he goes, he wants to see the Roman church and he wants to have the church in Rome assist him on his journey and he wants them to, he wants to enjoy their company or fellowship with him them for a time. Now, they're the things that he is hoping is going to happen when he meets with them. And what do we learn from this? We learn that actually mission support, the work of supporting missionaries, happens in relationship. It happens in friendship. We're going to look next week at chapter 16 and we'll see all the people Paul is concerned about in regard to the work of the gospel. And there are literally dozens of people that he lists in chapter 16. There are a lot of people involved in the work of taking the gospel out. And that work happens within friendships and relationships and supportive relationships that enable and encourage and equip the work of the gospel going out. So you and I ought to be involved in that type of mission support. When our missionaries come to us, we build relationships so we can support them and encourage them in their work. We're on to our last point, praying for our missionaries' kids, our fourth drawing, if you're on to drawing, praying for our missionaries. Verse 30 to 33. <clears throat> Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favourably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy, by God's will, and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Now Paul is asking for prayer on multiple fronts. He's asking that they pray for safety from those that would attack him in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem. He's asking for prayers that the financial gift, the money that he's taking to Jerusalem, would be well received. And he's asking that he might be enabled to eventually come to the church in Rome and be refreshed by their company. And you see again in his request for prayer the significance of relationships and the importance of relationships in encouraging the work of missions. So friends, as we receive our missionaries that we partner with, how is it that we are caring for them, welcoming them, refreshing them? And how diligent, how dedicated are we in prayer for them? Because it's a vital work in the work of the gospel. It's a work that we can struggle with our missionaries alongside of them as we pray and support them in their work. And we read here of Paul, the great apostle, who recognises the hard work of taking the gospel 
to those who haven't heard it and yet who clearly needs the work of others to help him, to pray for him, to support him. Let's pray as we finish up. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope that we have, the joy and peace that we have because you sent Jesus to die in our place and give us lasting hope, hope that is sure and certain, hope of peace with you and hope of life with you. Help us, Lord God, to want to take this message of hope to the world also. Help us to partner with our missionaries, to care for them, support them and pray for them, so that as we struggle with them, you might use their works and our works to bring hope to many around the world. Amen.